Well, how many of you are ready to study the Word of God? Amen. Few of you. That's great. Wonderful. We only need two or three to have church. I really think I have a message tonight that leads us into a time of prayer, but you know, as a pastor on a Sunday night, there are certain liberties that I tend to afford myself because we are coming up on our 21st anniversary. And so there are certain stereotypes for preachers. There are certain issues that preachers often fall prey to that we have shown ourselves to be faithful. We have proved that we are not here for the money because there is no money. We are not here to make this church a stepping stone in our career. We have turned down larger churches than this and huge salaries over the years to go other places and pastor. We're here because God called us here and we're going to stay here until we finish what he told us to do. And I want to just say a few things because I really want to, I want to minister this message. I don't want to get sidetracked. But I, first of all, I want to say we are part of the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God was started as what is called a free Pentecostal holiness movement. That is our roots, that is our doctrine, that's what we believe. And in many ways, the early days of Pentecost was marked with a tremendous amount of legalism. Legalism is basically the belief that religious works can save you. It is the idea that somehow long hair on women and short hair on men makes you holier than someone who is not that way when we know that holiness is an attribute of God and only God can make us holy. Have you believe that? We do believe that. The problem with the Pentecostal movement is, is about 40 years ago, we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we forgot a little word that is in the Bible that has nothing to do with legalism and it's called sanctification. All the prerequisites for joining the church, there used to be a long list on the Assemblies of God membership card. You could not drink. You couldn't smoke tobacco or use tobacco in any form. You had to pay your tithes. You had to attend all services that were possible. You had to openly declare that you were not only saved, but baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and that was the requirement to join the church. When I came here 20 years ago, we still had some of the old membership cards. Matter of fact, some of you signed them. 
I still got the old cards from all the old members all throughout the years. And they signed a piece of paper saying that they were living a life that was sexually pure, that was moral, and that they were saved, baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, the revelation came along that if a person is born again, they're already part of the body of Christ. So how can you keep them from being a part of the, a member of the church? And so there's this revelation. If you're saved, you're already part of the universal church. There's nothing we can do about that. Whether you smoke, chew, or a lust bucket... Do not wear your hair according to what the scripture instructs us is how that we ought to wear our hair. Doesn't matter. You're, you're saved. And so you ought to be part of the church. The thing is, that seemed like a small change. It really did. Nobody hardly noticed. We're just going to take in new members. Minimum requirements. You do have to be saved. And actively seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and commit to support the church with your tithe and attendance and that's it. There's no list of sins and do's and don'ts and no so forth like that. But what seems to me, just looking back, being a bit of a historian myself when it comes to the church, is now people, once they become a member of the church, they now have the power to vote somebody in that set the standard wherever they were at. There was no motivation to change. Even though we do know that short list that I gave you is part of the process of sanctification. As we become sanctified, we should be people that are sexually pure. It was never God's goal to just leave us forgiven and sinners, but to make us into the image of Christ, to be a holy people. Without holiness, no man shall see God. And so it's really quite twisted because it just depends on what church you're going to and where you're going, whether there is any preaching whatsoever on holiness, whether there's any preaching on sanctification and we have taken away the one mechanism that we had that said, hey, work towards this as a goal. And when you accomplish this, we're going to reward you with local church membership. And the right to vote and the right to have a say. Because you, have, you are not just saved, you've now reached a certain level of maturity where some very childish things are behind you. Amen. And so we don't, we don't have that motivator anymore. It's not there. And so what is the motivation? What, what is it? What is it that drives us, every one of us, what challenges us? What is it that makes us want to be holy? I don't see what it is. I... I like I said, we, you know, membership has, has its privileges. 
If a guy preaches too hard, vote him out. And that's what happens. All over America, all throughout the South. Hey, if you don't like the president, four years you get to pick a new one. The average tenure for a pastor in the Assemblies of God is three and a half years. Now, I'm just telling you right now, I, I, I've been here 21, and the average is three and a half years. I mean, a lot of people got thrown out after two, didn't they? I was just talking to a brother, a pastor who is in St. Louis, and he was telling me how that the Assemblies of God pastor there came in and he was tearing down the walls of racism. The church was becoming integrated. The two of him, this was an African-American pastor that I was talking to. And uh, he said, man, the, 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 the two of them began to become great friends. And, uh, you know, as soon as they had an annual business meeting, they threw him out. And they brought somebody in, and now the lines are being drawn once again in the most segregated time in America is Sunday mornings. Because we've still got white churches, and we've got black churches, and we've got Hispanic churches. People work together on their jobs, they all shopping at the same stores. And then the one time that the very symbol of equality and a view of, of anti-racism should be modeled is church and church is still. Sunday mornings are still the most racist time in America today. And I'm just going to tell you, maybe 20 years ago, they were singing different songs. Maybe they were cultural ideals. Maybe this is something they should be able to celebrate the Lord according to their culture. But, you know, lately I look around and we all singing the same songs. Got to be something more than that. What is it that's going to drive the church to want to be holy, to want to be sanctified? to lose our appetite for the world. For a lot of people today, we hold a standard for leadership. They come, Pastor, I want to do this, I want to do that. Well, you're going to have to lay this down. I remember the testimony of Brother Frank Weird. He said he smoked up until Pastor Jack Carroll came to him one day and said, listen, I want you to be Sunday school uh, superintendent, but you can't do that and smoke. And he decided he wanted to do something for God, so he laid it down. So I'm, I want all of y'all to be leaders. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want y'all to be a leader. I want y'all to take a ministry position. I don't care what that position is. You know what I'm saying? That can, position can be seated or can be standing. <laughs> Amen. But whatever it takes to get us back on the track of, of sanctification of allowing the Holy Spirit to baptize us and not just the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but the fire of the Holy Spirit that purifies us, that sanctifies us.
You know, we're so afraid of, of religion and legalism, amen, that we forgot there is a true religion, the Bible says, that is undefiled. Religion is not your enemy. Man-made religion is your enemy. Some of you need some good old-fashioned, old-time religion. Amen. You need someone telling you that the Bible says that the spirit is renewed day by day. There's 24 hours in a day. You don't go a day without prayer. You don't eat your food without thanking God for it. Oh, that's religious. No, that's a life of worship. What makes it religious is when you do it and you don't even think about it. You just repeat something you heard somebody else say, but it has no meaning to you. There is nothing religious about taking the time to give thanks to God for the very thing that sustains our life, that he has provided for us. Have you thanked the Lord that the Lord has provided for us? Have you, have, have you ever noticed all the good food doesn't come out of a laboratory? Come on, somebody. Amen. God created it and provided it for us. We act like we have a religious spirit because we take the time to pray over our food. Matter of fact, so, some people are so anti-religious, they're religious about it. Why do you say that? Well, they're very quick to judge somebody. Well, look at him. He showed up at church with a suit on. He's religious. Well, who's being judgmental? Who's being the church lady? Amen. Very quick to look at somebody, look at their age, look at, look at something in their life. And, you know, we don't understand sanctification. I, I appreciate the fact that I was talking to Brother Wayne the other day, and I just began to feel the Holy Spirit talking to him. I mean, the man just loves God, Brother Shepherd. And Brother Wade was um, sharing about how that this generation is being judged by God because they have no respect. He said, even when I was lost, before I came to the Lord, I would dare not disrespect my parents. He said, the reason demons are running in and, in and out, you know, and there's so much, they've got so many things that are messing with their life. I mean, we're talking about serious things, serious spirits that they get a hold of you. They will control you. Amen. They will manipulate you. They will destroy you and they will drag you to hell. I'm talking about demons about, you know, of homosexuality, demons of, of uh, lust and uh, fornication. Young people that are becoming obsessed and controlled with, by, by materialism. These are spirits that they get a hold of your life and they become part of who you are. You are in bondage, my friend. You are in need of deliverance. And the reason these doors have been opened is because there's no respect. There's no covering. I mean, God gave you your parents as a covering. You have to respect your parents. There's got to be honor. There's got to be. And he was talking about how that even, and then, then he started convicting me. And I guess that's what I enjoyed about the conversation. I like meeting somebody that can convict me, that can challenge me. And he began to look at me and he said, you know, he said, I watched the people. He said, they walk into the store and they throw the money on the counter. He said, they don't even address the person that's there. And he said, 
when you see the look on the eyes of the person as they pick that money up that was just flung at them, that person is hurt and that person is offended. And he said, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be that kind of person. He said, I always take the time to say hello. And he said, I hand them the money. That's such a little thing. But let me tell you something. You let the Holy Ghost talk to you, and he'll get up into every area of your life, including your attitude. See, we're too busy making fry jokes. You know what I'm talking about? That's the big thing in the movies now when they want to put somebody down. You know, they tell them they're going to have a career. Do you want fries with that? Man, I started getting convicted because I'm the worst. I'm on the phone. I don't need to know you. You have a job to do. What is there to communicate about? You know what I'm saying? You have my credit card. I got convicted. I'm finding myself going into McDonald's going, okay, okay, James. Don't be nice. You guys are laughing. I'm just saying it. The Holy Spirit can convict you. But how are we ever going to look like Jesus? You think that's how Jesus would treat people? Try to make them feel like a bunch of peons? Like a bunch of worker bees? You're not significant. I'm so much more important to you because I'm on this side of the counter. I, I'm serious. See, we don't even care about this stuff anymore. Man, you're crazy, Pastor. You know, I got enough in my life to be convicted about. And you know what our attitude is? Don't tell me because then if I don't know, I'm not responsible for it. Let me tell you, you became responsible the day you got a Bible. Because he said, study to show yourself approved a workman that needed not to be ashamed. This is for you. You. And I, I'm trying to encourage you because I want you to realize something. We have a right to expect the Holy Spirit to direct us deeper and further and to sanctify us more and more. We have a right to that. See, some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, that's what I've been trying to avoid. I'm just saying I like me. It's the way God made me. If God didn't want me to be this way, he wouldn't have made me this way. First of all, your crazy mother made you that way. That's why your neck does that. Okay, circumstances sometimes make us that way. Sin and the people who perpetrated sins against us in our life, amen, create these, this bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment it's not how God made us. If we'll let God, that's the good news. God will make us into the image of his son. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer up your body a living sacrifice. Holy. Now think about that. Offer up your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord, 
I mean, that's just, like I said, it, it's a strange concept, but I want us, this year needs to be a year of growth. And, and we don't need to, the church does not grow numerically unless the church grows spiritually. Are you listening to me? And the way to reach the world, pay attention to me. The way to reach the world is not to lower the standard. You are a fool. You may get a crowd, but you'll never reach the world. You may get a group of people in here, but we'll never do what God called us to do because they will not be people of sacrifice. They'll not be people that give. Listen to what I'm saying. We're so foolish. We think we got to look like the world, act like the world, and dress like the world to reach the world. And we are so wrong. I thought about the death of David Wilkerson. What a loss to the body of Christ. What a loss. I'll never forget the night that we sat gathered around a pastor's home. And they did a international satellite broadcast from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And David Wilkerson preached the greatest message on the prodigal son that I've ever heard in my life. After he had exhausted everything that had ever been preached about it before, he said, I still cannot say that's why that the son left the father's house. He said, I've heard people say it was because the world looks so good and looks so great. He said, I've been into the, he said, I've been in the world. I've been to the inner city of New York. I've ministered to the gangs. The world is a cesspool. The world is a dark and sick place. And he said, I cannot believe that the world is what lured him. He exhausted everything I'd ever heard preached. I thought, what, well, what is the answer? My God, what is the answer? Why did the prodigal son leave the father's house? When he came to the end of that great message, he looked out and said, it's very simple. There's only one reason that he left the father's house. He quit loving the father. You don't leave and abandon what you love. He fell out of love with the father. David Wilkerson stands as an example of someone who took a great big old Bible, a suit and a tie, and walked into the violence and crime-ridden streets of New York City and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and changed the city forever. Birth Teen Challenge, which is still one of the most effective drug recovery programs on the planet. There's not a single governmental program, corporate-funded program, or even other 
nonprofit program that can compare to the statistics that are produced by Teen Challenge because they do not apologize about the fact that God and the Holy Spirit are at the center of their recovery program. And they are still changing lives to this day and have thousands of chapters all over the world. And he never looked like the people that he preached to. He never talked like the people he preached to. But it was the words that he said and the love that he showed that transformed their lives. You want to touch the world, let me tell you something. You go out with the word of God and with the love of God and you will change lives. And they do not care if you're young, old, cool, hip, in step, in style. They don't care what you're wearing. If you come with the word and you come with love, they will embrace you. Can anyone say amen to that? This was how that Jesus transformed lives. It was through love and through the power of love. And so I see no justification for the standards that are being lowered consistently. I mean, we want to look like the world. We want to act like the world. We want to associate with the world. I don't want to associate with the world. I want to associate with God. I want to associate with whatsoever things are pure and just and holy and of a good report. I, I don't want anything that the world has to offer. Does anyone understand what I'm saying by this? I, I don't want to be a party to that. I, 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 what am I saying? I'm saying it's time to grow up. It's, it, it's time to put away childish things. Amen. It's time, to, it's time to lay down the gossip. Lay down the backbiting. Lay down your critical spirit. Amen. Lay down your lack of respect. It's time to lay those things down and conform not to some church edict. Conform not to some religious idea, but conform to the word of God. Who are we to pick and choose what part of God we're going to love and what part we're going to reject? Can we reject some with, without rejecting all of it? Those who have rejected God's message of holiness will be lost. They will not see God. There is grace, but only for repentance. And those sins that have been laid at the altar of God through repentance. We're so foolish to think that everybody's going to make it. When the Bible warned us that in the last days, the world would be filled with seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They would come preaching that gain is godliness. Boy, haven't we heard that message? That you can tell how godly somebody is by how much money they have. That, it, that if, you, hey, if you're really blessed of God, then show me the money. They've come preaching that message and God said, from such withdrawal thyself. Don't even associate with people that would put a decimal point in their Bible 
and a price tag on the gospel. And yet we've embraced it. We've embraced it because we have a culture, amen, that that praises prosperity and a mindset that says he that dies with the most toys wins. And that's how we define ourselves in this society. Well, listen, I'm not defined by what I have. I refuse to be defined by what I have. I refuse to. Oh, well, you know, you need to build your wealth up and you need to establish, you know, and then that way the world will come to, to the people who come to Jesus because they'll see your money and they'll want to have money like you. So they're going to come get saved so they can be rich like you're rich. Is that really how that we're going to change the world right there is we're going to try to out-pimp the pimps? How's that working, by the way? Because we've had that for a while. We've had air-conditioned doghouse houses. We've had gold-plated faucets. Amen. We've got preachers with three jets and four Rolls Royces. How's that working? Has the world been changed? Have they abandoned Hollywood? No, everybody still wants to grow up to be a rock and roll star. Everybody still wants to play in the NBA. But nobody wants to lay down everything and preach the gospel. Nobody wants to honor the words of the Lord that said, take nothing with you, step out and do what I told you to do. Go and I'll go with you and I'll provide the way for you. Where's that generation that's willing to stand up and go to those nations where their lives may very well be at risk to preach this gospel? Where are they? Where's such boldness? Where is such faith? It's at the mall shopping for a new suit looking for a new pair of clothes, looking for a leather jacket, looking for the most modern music, the best CDs. It's online, searching Amazon. Amen. Where is is that group of people that are willing to say yes all the way? What a radical concept. To say, my body belongs to the Lord, so I'm not going to put things in my body that are unholy. My body belongs to the Lord, and so I can't put it on display for the world. It's not for men to see and to look at and to lust after. It belongs to the Lord. What a crazy, radical concept that I'm going to dress in such a way that is modest that will not draw attention to myself. We don't even know how foolish we look anyway. Amen. When we get our radical hairdo and our crazy clothes and we all just, and we try to look cool and we try to look hip and little do we know those are the pictures that will torture us in 20 years. Those are the ones our children will laugh and mock and make fun. It's the truth. It's the truth, isn't it? I mean, anybody thinks you can put cool on and take cool off doesn't know anything about cool. They don't know anything about it. They don't even know, they don't even know what it is. Hey Amen. And if you think that we can come to a place in our life where these things no longer matter, yeah, we can. We can grow 
into a place where they fall off of us just like a baby gets rid of its rattle. Because some things are not about sin, and I, I realize that. And some people might be in this place saying, well, Pastor, are you saying this is sin, that's it? No, the Bible even says some things are shameful, but it doesn't even call them a sin. But when do we get to the place where that, that's not the question? When do we get to that place where we say, God, what does it take to be sold out the whole route? What does it take to be all in? What does it take to see your glory? What do I got to go through? Am I willing to allow the Lord to send an evil spirit into my life to buffet me that I might not be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelation? Am I willing to trust the Lord so much that he would literally afflict my body in order to address my spirit? That he would allow a spirit to buffet, to hinder, and to fight so that he could develop in me a character that would not be lost, a person that when he really reveals himself and his power begins to flow through my life, that I will not be exalted and take any glory for myself. We wonder what, why uh, people look at the book. I heard comments about it the other day. Shambach reintroduced it a few years ago, but it was actually written a long time ago, and someone brought me an original copy just recently that is no long, that's not in the name of Shambach. It's in the name of the original author, A. A. Allen. The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. Been 20 years since I read it. I heard someone criticizing that the other day. They were talking about, you know, those that imply there's a price to God's miracle working power. Jesus paid the price. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He paid it all. And, and, and so that's all there is to it. Well, if that's all there is to it, then show me the miracles you're working. Show me the power of God that's manifested since you believed on Jesus. I'm preaching now. I want to see. This preacher that said that, I looked at him and I said, so how many miracles has God done in your life today? Give me your handkerchief. I know some sick people. I'd like to take it over there. Get them set free. Well, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and I understand that you are wrong. You have forgotten the post-Calvary death exchange. Jesus has died. Have you? I said, Jesus has already died, but have you? Have you offered yourself a living sacrifice to God? That is the price of his miracle working power. This is a covenant, life for life. He didn't give his life and then we do what we want. He gave his life and are we willing to give our life for his purpose and for his cause? And if we will, we will see the glory of God cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. We will see the power of God manifested. But I assure you, there has never been an unsanctified church that ever saw the glory. There has never been a church associated with baptisms of fire and miracles and signs of wonders. Amen. That was not a movement that was marked by holiness. The pure church is the powerful church. 
You say, why? Because there's got to be a certain death to self before God can trust you with his glory. God will not allow his glory to be the thing that destroys you. And so the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Things have to be endured. Sometimes we have to endure hardness as a good soldier. Sometimes we have to go through some things. Sometimes we have to face ourselves and we don't want to face who we are. We don't want to face the truth about ourselves. And listen, I'm not preaching this message tonight, hey man, just to, uh, to offend anyone or to hurt somebody's feelings. Not by any means. I honestly believe there are some people here, you've been seeking God on this fast. You're saying, God, where's the power? Where's the glory? I want to see your miracles. Hey man, God's about to send you an answer tonight. God still only anoints one and no other. And that's Jesus He still only accepts one into his presence, and that's Jesus. If we go, we go in the name of Jesus. If we go, we go saying, I am his body. I am his church. I am his bride. I am one with him. That's our only right to access. And we we, we have just a little glimpse. I remember going to a holiness church and I I remember thinking about all the silly things that they did at that church. They were silly. Guy came down the prayer line and said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. He said, I got a sitcom devil. I thought he was making fun of the prayer line. I looked up and started to rebuke him until I saw the tears streaming down his face. He must have saw the confused look on my face because he started to explain. said, I went over to my in-law's house. And he said, my father-in-law is a hard man to get to know. And I was just trying to reach out and talk to him. And I went in the living room. Before I know it, I'd done watch two hours of sitcoms. After I told the Lord, I wouldn't watch television anymore. He said, I want to be free. I prayed for him. I've laughed about that over the years. I mean, got a sitcom devil. Come on, somebody. Get enough Holy Ghost you can watch TV without being full of lust and learn how to turn the channel when it's wrong and learn how to fast forward when it gets bad. But anyway, we got the sitcom demons out. And they came to me and Brother Jeff and they said, listen, we're, are you guys going to go up and pray before the service tonight? And I said, yeah, we will. We'll probably go up a couple hours early and have some intercession, time of intercession. They said, well, that's good. There's some young ladies that are supposed to be cleaning the church today. We'll make sure that they're out of there before you get there. And I said, well, they won't bother us. And they said, brethren, they can't be there while you're there. That would not... I went, well, of course, get them out of there, you know. You couldn't have young ladies cleaning the church while there are young men in the church at the same time without a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a stun gun. They were they were they were holiness. We went over to these folks' house and we went over to these folks' house and we're sitting there eating and 
Jeff was with me, and Jeff grown, grew up in the Assemblies of God, so he'd never even seen holiness before. I grew up around these people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so they weren't, you know, I mean, they were holiness even by our standards, but, you know, I grew up, my sisters never wore a pair of pants until, I guess, I don't know, Cheryl never did till she was 18, married, moved out of the house. So I know a little bit about the holiness movement. I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. I understand what legalism is. I've been bound by legalism in my life before and had to be set free. But Jeff, he had, he'd grew up in a, in a word of faith assembly of God church. He'd never even heard of this stuff, you know, and we go over to these folks house and this young couple looks at us and he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, the young man just made a comment about, uh, Jeff said, you know, you guys are, are a beautiful young couple. How long you've been married? And they said, we've been married about a year now. And, and they said, well, yeah, well, how long were you together before that? And he goes, he goes, well, I wish I could say our first kiss was at the altar. He goes, but he goes, the last two years before we got married, we didn't kiss till we got to the altar. And Jeff started choking on his food. He was trying to swallow something, but he did he got it down the wrong way. I'm patting him on the back, literally patting him on the back. I don't know if he's watching, but he's laughing because he knows this is the truth. And finally he goes, he goes, You are kidding me. I said, no, no. He said, we first started going steady and liked each other. And he said, I kissed her. And some of the young people in the church saw me. And he said, they went and told the pastor. And the pastor called me into his office. And said, young man, I hear that you like this young lady over here. They go, yeah. He goes, well, that's fine. He goes, but I heard you've been kissing her on the mouth. He said, I looked at the pastor and said, Pastor, I'm not going to lie to you. It's true. He goes, well, stop it. He said, you're setting a bad example in front of all these other young people. He said, if the two of you want to get married, get married, and you can kiss after you get married. And he said, Our, I went to her and I told her, I will kiss you again at the altar. And two years later when we got married, he said, we kissed at the altar. And I thought that was the craziest story I'd ever heard in my entire life. I mean, I really thought these people are nuts. Well, let me tell you something about this church. In the midst of some of these stories, we never talked to one person in that church that had not seen the dead raised. Not one person. I said not one person. Every one of them had a story about how some point in time they saw the dead raised. When's the last time you saw the dead raised? Now, I'm not suggesting that we get bound by legalism, but what was lost in the passion for sanctification, the passion to be like Christ, and the willingness to throw away anything that was not holy. Not something that's sin. Well, that's sin that's going to take you to hell. No, I don't want it if it's not holy. I don't want it in my ears. I don't want it in front of my face. If it is not holy, if it's not feeding my spirit, I don't want it. I don't want something that's going to feed my flesh. 
I'm battling with my flesh enough. The last thing I need to do is, is, is help it do some push-ups and start feeding it a healthy diet. Someone said one time, whatever you feed will become the monster that you battle in your life. Whatever you feed the most. Amen. Whatever you feed is what's going to take charge. Feed your spirit. Your spirit will take charge. What a crazy concept. I mean, we look at these people, but I'm telling you, we sat there and listened. This young man was talking about his brother and how that his brother, they were at the swimming hole and, and his brother drowned. They did everything they could to resuscitate him. They didn't know one new CPR. Blue, pale, not breathing. He said it was 45 minutes to run all the way back to the house and get his mother. Went and got her, came back. By then he'd been laying there dead for an hour and a half. Then they carried him to the church, which was an hour away. They laid him down in the church and they went to get the preacher, which was another half hour away. This boy had not been breathing for three hours when the preacher walked in, laid hands on that boy's lifeless body, and began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And that boy coughed three times, set up, and is a preacher of the gospel to this day in Columbus, Ohio. Can I give you a verse that's pro-holiness without you getting mad at me that you know it now and you're going to be responsible for it for the rest of your life? If your own heart does not condemn you, you can have confidence towards God. Where's your faith for miracles? It's on the other side of your guilt and the things that we do that we know we shouldn't be doing. You will never have great faith until you have great sanctification in your life. Why? Because faith is what we live, not what we say we believe. James said, you can tell me all day what you believe. You can tell me right now, I believe in holiness. But it's what you live that matters. And it's all that matters. Tell me of your faith. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by how that I live my life, by the choices that I make. Now, again, this message is for people. I'm not picking on people. There are people here tonight. You're going to leave here. You're going to dismiss all of this. You know, you're deeper, further, whatever. That's fine. This is for some hungry people who have been asking the question, where's the power of God? I'm telling you how to access the power of God in your life. You have got to lay yourself on the altar of God. And you've got to let God shine the light of his glory on you and let him convict you. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Every man's got to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. One of the first things that God will deliver you from is from pointing your finger at somebody else and saying they need to do what I do. We've got a whole lot of people in the church that think they know what's wrong with everybody else and have no idea what's wrong with themselves. You haven't even begun this journey. You don't even speak the right language yet to even enter in to this conversation. Until you get the focus on yourself and off of other people, you will never be sanctified. You will never have a pattern. And, an, and a, we're talking about an instinct. Sanctification is when our good works are habitual. They're subconscious in nature. They go without thought. 
I'm not struggling now to do the right thing. I'm not wrestling with my flesh. But I have killed that part of myself, and now this is just who I am. I'm temperate. I'm gentle. I'm meek. I'm loving. I'm patient. I'm kind. Not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit working through me. Because he has changed me. Because the word of God has changed me. That's why Jesus was able to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will. It's, sanctification is the process of the word of God becoming alive in us. That we are living epistles. We don't talk about love, we love. We don't talk about being a light, we are a light. And we can't turn it off. And we can't shut it down. And that's when we begin to move into this incredible realm of the miraculous because God looks down and he says, listen, I can do something for that person right there. And they have crucified their flesh. And if I manifest this miracle in their life, their flesh isn't going to rise up and say, look what I did. Their flesh isn't going to rise up and say, I don't have to listen to the pastor anymore. Their flesh isn't going to rise up and say, I don't have to listen to the elders of the church anymore. Their flesh isn't going to rise up and say, I don't have to respect my parents anymore because I got the power. You know, I've come to a place in God where I look back and they used to sing a song, um, I've got it, yes, I've got it. And I'm so offended by that song. Because as you begin to grow in God and you begin to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you realize that he is not in it. And you're offended by people that think that they can separate the Holy Ghost from his power. Say, what are you talking about? Man, there's not going to be signs, wonders, miracles, and things happening from the Holy Spirit moving, and you have no relationship with the Holy Spirit? You don't even have the power to be convicted over your attitude, over rebellion? You don't have enough Holy Spirit to be convicted over the things that are in your life. You know I don't. The Holy Spirit knows. I want enough Holy Ghost in my life that he deals with me about how I treat the person at the McDonald's register. That's how much Holy Ghost I want in my life. And if you can get enough of that kind of Holy Spirit in your life, that kind of Holy Spirit will raise the dead. That kind of Holy Spirit will change your life and the lives of those that you come in contact with. Amen. We all want the power, but we don't want to talk about sanctification. I'm telling you, there's no way to separate the two. There is no outward work of the Holy Spirit unless there's an inward work of the Holy Spirit. Have you won an outward work of the Holy Spirit? Have you want to see lives change? Have you want to make a difference in this world? And have you realized the only way that's going to happen is let the Holy Spirit move in us because he's got to move in us before he'll move through us. Now, this message is, is not necessarily what I planned tonight, but I, I, I don't care if it's thick tonight. It's Sunday night. I'm the pastor. Amen. And I take certain liberties on Sunday nights. <laughs> As your pastor. And guess what? We're not fasting for no reason. I don't know about you. I don't want to come out of this fast and not know something I didn't know. 
I want to be challenged. I want to be changed. I want God to convict me over even the smallest thing. And listen, as long as I don't turn around then and tell everybody else, now you've got to live this way. You notice tonight I said, listen, I want to come to a place in my life where I'm convicted over how. I didn't say, well, if you do that, you're going to split hell wide open. No. Some of you aren't even ready to have that conversation with God yet. And we're not talking about sin. We're talking about room. Say, what are you talking about? God needs room in your life to move. And I'm willing to give him room. I'm willing to let him do what he wants to do. Amen. That more of his spirit, if it takes less of me, I believe that's the great revelation of John the Baptist. I believe that's why Jesus himself said he was one greater than the prophets. I mean, that's a remarkable thing to say about someone. John the Baptist, you're greater than the prophets. Greater than Elijah and Elisha? The miracles that they did? We're talking about Ezekiel who saw a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Greater than that? Greater than a prophet who throws a cruise of salt into the pot and it takes the poison out of another prophet who pours salt into the stream and stagnant water comes to life again? We're talking about prophets who when they threw the body of a dead soldier down on the bones of the prophet, there was enough fire left in the bones of the prophet that the soldier sprung back to life. And John did no miracles. There's not a single biblical reference that John ever anointed anyone, healed anyone, or did anything significant or miraculous in that way. Jesus said, you're greater than the prophets. Because John understood something. Long before the rest of us ever got this message, John said, I must decrease that he might increase. That's the revelation that John leaves us today. Those are the words that should stir our hearts and challenge us to pray. God, I'll give myself that I might have more of you. God, I'll lay myself on the altar that you might increase in my life, God. There's no sacred cows There's no area that I want to hang on to. Take it, whatever that it may be. Sometimes even the very things that we like about ourselves. Well, I'm feisty. We come up with cute little names for our attitude and our rebellion. I'm feisty. I'm spunky. But sometimes even the things that we like about ourselves, we have to lay them down at the altar of God and say, God, Let me decrease that you might increase. God, let me decrease that you might increase that Holy Spirit make room for yourself. Whatever you got to do, 
to get in here in the fullness of your power and glory with your fruit and with your gifts. Bring them all and have your way in my life. And what better time than when we are fasting and praying? We, we prayed and did some spiritual warfare the other night. The presence of God was strong. But what if we just had a good old-fashioned altar call for everyone in the church to come and say, God, give me a baptism of fire. Give me a baptism of sanctification. Burn out the dross and leave only the gold. What a wonderful time to come into the presence of God as we fast and pray together corporately. And say, God, I lay myself on the altar once again, and I ask you, Lord, crucify anything in me where there's death working in me and let only life work in me. Let only your spirit, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. How many of you are hungry for a move of God? I'm asking you now, are you hungry for a move of God? Have you hungry for souls to be saved? Have you, have you want to be changed? Come on, I'm asking you. How many of you want to be changed? I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to have another year pass and there's no growth in my life spiritually. Amen. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. Amen. I'm not hanging on to myself. I fell in love with Jesus and I want to be like him. I want to be just like you, Lord. I want to look like you. I want to talk like you. I want to walk like you. Oh, God. I want to be moved with compassion towards those who are hurting around me. Think about that statement. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion towards the multitude. There wasn't a person that Jesus ever prayed for that he wasn't more than willing to say, take this sickness off of them and put it on me. Take their suffering and make it my own. He proved that was his heart when he laid himself down to be beaten at the whipping post. It took 39 stripes. Says one, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Father, let me suffer that they don't have to. Let me take their pain to myself. And even though he has not asked a single soul since then, to serve as a similar sacrifice there have been those who have found that love there have been those who have found that place in God where the likeness of Christ shines so bright upon them that Peter when he came to the point of his death and found out they were about to crucify him and he knew that it was his time to go he looked to those who were about to take his life and said, if you please, turn me upside down so that no one would ever compare my crucifixion with the crucifixion of the Lord. 
so that no one would ever think that I'm another sacrifice because he's the sacrifice once and for all. That allowed the Apostle Paul as the time came to be brought before Nero's axemen and for the blade to drop and his head to be severed from his body he was able to declare I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness but not for me only but for all those that will follow after. I'm talking about people that the Lord never may require of you a cross or a crucifixion. But is there a passion inside of you so great? Is there a love inside of you so great? that you could face death with that kind of passion and love. See, that's what I want to have. I want to have... I want to have that old time, that old-fashioned kind of salvation where you can say the world didn't give it to me in the... And the world can't take it away. That kind of passion that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That kind of passion that said, I I didn't come here to get my blessing. I came to be poured out. I came to offer myself on the altar of God. Amen. I came to lay down my life for the purpose and the cause of Christ. Amen. That's, that's, That's what God has for us, church. Amen. And I believe he's going to answer us with power. I believe he's going to answer us with glory. I believe he's going to answer us with an outpouring. I believe he's going to answer us with signs and wonders and miracles. Amen. I believe he's going to answer us by moving in your life. The mountains that are in your life today that could not be moved. You're going to speak to those mountains. They're going to move out of your way. You're going to see the power and the glory of God. Amen. God's just looking for some conduit tonight. He's looking for tributaries to the river of his glory. He's looking for someone that will just get out of the way and let him move through them. Amen. And that work again, it begins in us that he might work through us. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart. I think every one of us, there's something we could lay at this altar tonight. There's something we could lay here in the presence of God. There's something we can lay down, even if it's just how you treat the workers at McDonald's. And let the Holy Spirit have his work. Great or small, let him do what only he can do. Let him refine me with fire like a fuller's soap and a refiner's fire. Let him cleanse Let him transform my life. I want you to stand with me tonight. Father God, we're getting ready to open up these altars, Lord, and I'm asking you that these altars would become holy ground tonight, that they would signify an altar of sacrifice, God. That, Lord, they would signify a place where that we lay down our bodies, 
our appetites, God. (laughs) And Lord, we put our hunger and our passion for you on display, God. Lord, I pray that tonight there would be an impartation, that tonight there would be an infill. That tonight, God, for every area that we lay down, for every part of ourselves that we leave on this altar, God, may your Holy Spirit take over that space, take over that room, God. Somebody might need to lay down anger or bitterness or lust. or God, someone might need to uh, lay down a, 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 a gossip or, or lying or cheating. God, someone that might need to just simply lay down, amen, some small thing. That has not been mentioned, but the Holy Spirit's dealing with them. The Holy Spirit is convicting. The Holy Spirit is challenging them. Maybe there's souls here that you're talking to about their prayer life. Maybe there are people here you're talking to them about their tithing, their giving. But God, you're dealing and you're challenging us. And God, we are here to respond. And we are here to say, yes, Lord, to thy will and to thy way, God. Lord, sanctify this altar area, God, that it would be a place tonight of revival. God, maybe not not revival in the sense that we often think, Lord, of a series of meetings or some special event, but God, let it be a revival in our own hearts, in our own minds, God. Lord, let the Holy Spirit begin to transform us, God. Let the Holy Ghost take over. And we'll thank you for it in the powerful name of Jesus. I pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. The altars are open right now for us to come and pray.